0: I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives so that together we can prepare to live outside the walls. Well, this week, we're going to be talking with Jennifer Fitz. She's a blogger on the Pathios Network on the Catholic Channel, and we'll talk more about that. Uh, when she comes on. Uh, but a couple of weeks ago, she wrote a piece about understanding Pope Francis and it really struck a chord with me. And so I invited her on the show today uh, because it really dealt very well with a pet peeve of mine. And that pet peeve is that anytime Pope Francis says anything, the, the, the media vultures swoop in and grab one sentence out of whatever it was he said, and then they frame a context around it and provide it to everyone else uh, to be received, either with great joy or great fear, depending on what side of, uh, of the issue the person falls. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I'm tired uh, to some extent, and I'll keep doing it and I'll keep going, but I'm, I'm tired of uh, the panic that ensues any time a new story comes out with Pope Francis. Uh, people get panicked because, uh, well, the news media said that he's going to change the faith and everything's up for grabs and here's their proof. And, and I just want everyone to take a deep breath and realize uh, that the Pope is Catholic. I know that this is a shock, but the Pope is Catholic uh, and he's not going to change the faith. Uh, He's saying everything within the context of Catholicism, and we have to grab that and understand that. Uh, And so Jen is going to provide us with some more really good information uh, about how to interpret and understand Pope Francis in a way that is good uh, for our soul, that's good for our blood pressure, uh, and that's good for really being mature adults acting in a spirit of charity. So that's coming up later in the show, in the second and third segments. And then in the fourth segment, we're going to be giving away a book that she wrote on classroom management for catechists. And yes, it's all connected. It makes sense, but you'll have to stick around through the show to find out why. So as always, we're going to start today with prayer, uh, with reading from Scripture for today, Independence Day, July 4th. uh, And then we're going to spend some time with a doctor of the church, with a father of the church writing. So let's go ahead and begin. Let us praise Christ, who loves, nourishes, and supports his church. With faith, let us cry out to him, answer the prayers of your people, Lord. Lord Jesus, grant that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Answer the prayers of your people, Lord. Preserve our Holy Father, Pope Francis, and our bishops. Come with your power to help them. Answer the prayers of your people, Lord. Remember those who long for honest work so that they may lead a life of peaceful security. Answer the prayers of your people, Lord. Lord, be the refuge of the poor, their help in distress. Answer the prayers of your people, Lord. We commend to your care all bishops, priests, and deacons who have died, that they may sing your praises forever around your heavenly throne. Answer the prayers of your people, Lord. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Almighty Father, you have brought us to the light of a new day. Keep us safe the whole day through from every sinful inclination. May all our thoughts, words, and actions aim at doing what is pleasing in your sight. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Today's first reading comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 27. When Isaac was so old that his eyesight had failed him, he called his older son Esau and said to him, Son. Yes, father, he replied. Isaac then said, As you can see, I am so old that I may now die at any time. Take your gear, therefore, your quiver and bow, and go out into the country to hunt some game for me. With your catch... Prepare an appetizing dish for me, such as I like, and bring it to me to eat, so that I may give you my special blessing before I die. Rebekah had been listening while Isaac was speaking to his son Esau. So when Esau went out into the country to hunt some game for his father, Rebekah then took the best clothes of her older son Esau that she had in the house and gave them to her younger son Jacob to wear. And with the skins of the kids, she covered up his hands and the hairless parts of his neck. And then she handed her son Jacob the appetizing dish and the bread she had prepared. Bringing them to his father, Jacob said, Father. Yes, replied Isaac. Which of my sons are you? Jacob answered his father. I am Esau, your firstborn. I did as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game, so that you may give me your special blessing. But Isaac asked, How did you succeed so quickly, son? He answered, The Lord your God, let things turn out well with me. Isaac then said to Jacob, Come closer, son, that I may feel you, to learn whether you really are my son Esau or not. So Jacob moved up, closer to his father. When Isaac felt him, he said, Although the voice is Jacob's, the hands are Esau's. He failed to identify him because his hands were hairy, like those of his brother Esau. So in the end, he gave him his blessing. Again, he asked Jacob, Are you really my son Esau? Certainly, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said, Serve me your game, son, so that I may eat of it, and then give you my blessing. Jacob served it to him, and Isaac ate. He brought him wine, and he drank. Finally, his father Isaac said to Jacob, Come closer, son, and kiss me. As Jacob went up and kissed him, Isaac smelled the fragrance of his clothes. And with that, he blessed him, saying, Ah, the fragrance of my son is like the fragrance of a field that the Lord has blessed." May God give you the dew of the heavens, and of the fertility of the earth, abundance of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you, and nations pay homage. Be master of your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you, and blessed be those who bless you. That reading again comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 27. Our responsorial psalm today is from... Psalm 135. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise, you servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name, which we love. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his own possession. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. For I know that the Lord is great. Our Lord is greater than all gods. All that the Lord wills, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and in all the deeps. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Today's gospel comes from the gospel of Matthew chapter 9. The disciples of John approached Jesus and said, Why do we and the Pharisees fast much, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one patches an old cloak with a piece of unshrunken cloth, for its fullness pulls away from the cloak and the tear gets worse. People do not put new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the skins burst, and the wine spills out, and the skins are ruined. Rather, they pour new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. That gospel comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. Today's reading from church history comes from a letter to the Corinthians by St. Clement. The command has been written... Cling to the saints, for those who cling to them will be sanctified. There is a passage in Scripture as well which states, With the innocent man you will be innocent, and with the chosen one you will be chosen also. Likewise, with the perverse you will deal perversely. Devote yourselves then to the innocent and the just. They are God's chosen ones. Why are there strife and passion, schisms and even war among you? Do we not possess the same spirit of grace which was given to us and the same calling in Christ? Why do we tear apart and divide the body of Christ? Why do we revolt against our own body? Why do we reach such a degree of insanity that we forget that we are members of one another? Do not forget the words of Jesus our Lord. Woe to that man! It would be better for him if he had not been born rather than scandalize one of my chosen ones." Indeed, it would be better for him to have a great millstone round his neck and to be drowned in the sea, than that he lead astray one of my chosen ones. Your division has led many astray, and has made many doubt, has made many despair, and has brought grief upon us all. And still, your rebellion continues. Pick up the letter of Blessed Paul the Apostle. What did he write to you at the beginning of his ministry? Even then you had developed factions. So Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote to you concerning himself, Cephas, and Apollos. But that division involved you in less sin because you were supporting apostles of high reputation and a person approved by them. We should put an end to this division immediately. Let us fall down before our master and implore his mercy with our tears. Then he will be reconciled to us, and restore us to the practice of brotherly love that befits us for this is the gate of justice that leads to life as it is written open to me the gates of justice when i have entered there i shall praise the lord this is the gate of the lord the just shall enter through it there are many gates which stand open but the gate of justice is the gateway of christ all who enter through this gate are blessed pursuing their way in holiness and justice, performing all their tasks without discord. A person may be faithful. He may have the power to utter hidden mysteries. He may be discriminating in the evaluation of what is said and pure in his actions. But the greater he seems to be, the more humbly he ought to act, and the more zealous he should be for the common good rather than his own interest. That reading comes from a letter to the Corinthians by St. Clement, Pope and Martyr. And that's something that I think is essential for us to hear, because often we strive to be right more than we strive to be in community. Uh, It's one of the reasons that we get so worked up about what the Pope says, because we fancy ourselves to be the proper interpreters of the faith, and yet we're not. We are subject to, to our pastors, to our bishops, to the Magisterium of the church and the, the writings of the church throughout history. Uh, the, the authority of the teaching office lies in the Magisterium of the church and the Pope and the bishops in union with the Pope in union with all of history. And so we get worked up and we get stressed and we cause division, maybe not on a scale that they saw in the, in the Corinth, but certainly, Uh, we divide ourselves. We divide ourselves into faithful Catholics and progressive Catholics and American Catholics and other Catholics and uh, blogger Catholics and no-I-read-books Catholics and all these different factions that do nothing but bring harm to the body of Christ and lead people away. This is something that we need to repent of. Uh, We need to come with humble hearts and approach the words of our Holy Father with docility, As we're told in paragraph 87 of the Catechism well when we come back from this break we're going to be talking with Jennifer Fitz she is a blogger on the Pathios Network and has an interesting perspective on this that will maybe enlighten us a little bit and calm us down from uh, from the frenzy that the media tries to work us up into Uh, we're looking always to have a spirit of unity that's what Christ prayed in John 17 it's what he asked most of all, that we would be one. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Glad you've stuck through the break. Today, we're talking with Jen Fitz. She is a blogger for the Pathios Network. You can find her blog at pathios.com. That's P-A-T-H-E-O-S, patheos.com, slash blogs, slash Jennifer Fitz with a Z. And the Pathios Network, uh, explain that a little bit to us, Jennifer.
1: Uh, Pathios is a multi-religion channel. They, you know, it's it's a business. It exists mm-hmm. to satisfy the need of readers to hear about religion. Uh, but the Catholic Channel is run by Elizabeth Scalia who is firmly a faithful Catholic and who has picked out a slate of perhaps 60 I think we have Catholic writers who cover just about every aspect of the faith some people write frequently some people not so much you know you get big superstars like Father Dwight Longenecker and then other you know lesser-known writers Um, Sherry Waddell is on there but she doesn't write very often Um, and, and so it's just sort of a place you can come and find the Catholic faith. And we really, um, you know, we've got a tremendous diversity of writers, but all of us coming at it from the effort of how do we, how do we be a faithful Catholic in the world we're living in today?
0: And that's the question that we have on this show as well. So we're so glad to have you on Outside the Walls. Thanks for joining us today. Glad to be here. So uh, we're talking today because you wrote a piece on your blog a couple of weeks ago, and, and I frequent the Patheos uh, network. I, I didn't realize there were that many, but there most of the people on my blog role are blogging there at Patheos. Uh, Sister Teresa <laughs> Alethea uh, is there on uh, the Pursuit pursued yeah. by Truth Uh, -hmm. Father Dwight Longenecker, you mentioned, um, Rebecca Hamilton is uh, Mm -hmm. a former legislator here in the state of Oklahoma, where we are based. Uh, and then just on down the line, they're just excellent materials there. And so I was reading through, and I think you were actually recommended by one of the other Pathos bloggers. And I went to read this, uh, this article you did on understanding Pope Francis. And Mm -hmm. uh, that's something that I've just noticed on both sides, there is a great lack of understanding. Yeah. Uh, we, we've got people who uh, who pick and choose as if he were um, the Bible in the hands of a uh, sola scriptura Protestant uh, saying, oh, well, I like this thing that he said, or I hate that thing that he said, and, and twisting the whole context uh, to make the Pope say what they want him to say uh, to prove their point, either uh, a good point or a bad point. Uh, and that's... Right that's been a great frustration of mine and and i haven't been able to put my finger on it but you did and i want you just to maybe give us a brief uh picture of what you you said there in that blog post
1: okay well i talked about uh three different aspects of the pope's uh manner of talking that kind of confounds people because we're not used to it Mm -hmm. And, um, and you had mentioned specifically, uh, one point, which was high context and low context, but I'll go through them all. Okay. And, and that idea of high context and low context, uh, is, is a, a little bit of a technical term. I learned it from a book by Aaron Meyer called the culture map, which is, uh, written for businesses trying to work internationally and understand and overcome cultural problems. Mm -hmm. And, and one of the challenges people have in communication across cultures is that there are cultures where everything is very subtle and has a backstory, and that would be mm-hmm. called high context speech so I use uh, terms that you and I understand but maybe an outsider doesn't I might make a reference in passing to something that happened that you know about and I know about but I don't explicitly discuss it I just say one or two words and you get immediately what I'm talking about right. that's, that's high context speech and it, it works very well when you have a common background when you uh, are coming from the same point of view. And, um, when, when you know the subject and when you have a connection with the speaker and the listener and there are cultures that are high context, um, interestingly Americans are low context in general. We mm-hmm. like to spell everything out. Um, we, we, you know, we, we lay everything out, uh, very explicitly when you give a talk at a business, you, um, right. you know, you say what you're going to say, you say it and then you say what you said. We don't leave you know, anything you're, you're, for granted. Exactly. And, you know, you define all your terms, you, mm-hmm. uh, you never tell a story without giving the history behind the story, uh, you, you clarify and clarify and clarify for misunderstandings. Um, and, and the curious thing is, that, you know, the Pope tends to speak high context, he tends to um, speak directly to the listener in front of him or his intended audience, and use references that that person will understand, right. but that may not be well understood by an outsider who doesn't have the full story. Um, what I found amusing is that American Catholics, uh, those of us in particular who are on the internet, following the news, in the debates, um, you know, really in the Catholic media, um, we're also high-context. Mm-hmm. We also use all these codes and jargon. We have these, these references we make, um, you know, I mentioned my blog, like, if you say the Spirit of Vatican II. Right. It has a meaning, a very specific meaning that an outsider would be like, what, what are they talking about? Well, not we know, we know there's this whole history behind that phrase and the implications. And Mm -hmm. furthermore, that the implications change depending on, on how you're using it. Right. So we're high context too. Um, and so I think one of the frustrations is that Pope Francis does not talk like an American blogger. Right he just doesn't he doesn't use the same stories he doesn't um you know he he when he is speaking to an impoverished woman in the Philippines who is facing a very serious medical crisis he is not talking to a wealthy middle class american who has um you know the healthcare that we have and the right. resources that we have and so he might say something that to you know american ears sounds crazy but if you knew the context, if you knew the, the personal story going on, it made perfect sense to the people who were
0: there. Um, yep. And so, yeah. There's a, uh, for those who may not be grasping this context uh, of okay. high context, low context, there's a Star Trek episode <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. in, the, in the next generation where you had the, the captain of the Enterprise speaking in this very low context uh, and then you, he was beamed onto a planet with this guy who only spoke in, uh, in phrases of situations that were common to his people. And, and it took them the whole episode to come to an understanding. Uh, there's also, that's for my, my, my nerds out there, uh, there's also, George Bernard Shaw has one of my favorite quotes. And he says, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it's taken place. And this idea that just because we've expressed something doesn't mean that that thing has then therefore been communicated. Yes. You know, you were talking about um, Pope Francis being high context and even really uh, American bloggers being high context in our own way. Uh, Mm -hmm. Certainly in the the radio business, we're high context in in the things that we do, but we're high context in different ways. Uh, Yes. And that's where the conflict comes. But but I think it's important for us all to remember that Scripture itself is high context. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when when you see Jesus Christ on the cross and one of his last words uh, was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We're thinking, oh, oh wow, look, God forsook uh, Christ and Christ is God. So how can that happen? And there's a, a conundrum there and a, f- a philosophical uh, exercise for you but then to realize that this is a a high-context statement where he is referring Mm -hmm. back to Psalm 22, uh, which explicitly is a a prophecy about the crucifixion. Now, uh, if we don't know that, then we're going through all these different hoops to try and figure out how God could forsake God, whereas if everyone who was there knew exactly what he was saying, uh, and it it brought new revelation to them, and and I think that the church is very careful— to, in the way that we handle Scripture. There's a whole uh, a whole document of the church, De Verbum, uh, which talks about the way that we approach Scripture. And then the Catechism has a beautiful, lengthy passage on approaching Scripture as a high-context document uh, and something that I think is important for us as Catholics to remember.
1: Oh, absolutely, and that's the perfect example. Um, you know, and if you read Psalm 22, it finishes with this victory, yep. right? And I, I often compare it to if your last words were, you know, "Oh, say can you see," mm-hmm. right? If that's what you said when you were dying, every American would know that you were, you know, quoting the Star-Spangled Banner, right. which is a, a song of victory. You're not asking, you know, can you see something, right? Right. right. Um, and so, yes, exactly.
0: So, uh, how do we overcome? Let's just stick with high context for a moment. How? Okay. how for those of us who don't have his context, how can we c- take these words that are being uh, thrown about by the media, both uh, those opposed to him and those promoting him? Uh, what's a Catholic to do? We see these things that say, the one that you brought up specifically, uh, the Pope is against uh, gun manufacturers and people who own guns, which isn't at all what he said. But when, yeah. th- when this is what's being reported, what's a Catholic to do to gain his context?
1: You know, it's really not complicated. Uh, what you need to do is you see the inflammatory headline, uh, skip skip the article, because you know that the <laughs> mainstream media is going to completely distort what was said. They have, you know, almost never gotten religion right, and they're, they haven't changed that with the new pope. Um, right. And go straight to the source. And, and it can be take a while. It took me uh, a day or two. To right. find the the text in you know translated into English of that particular talk, um, and, and so you know you find the original talk, and you read through it, and and the English translations even if they're not, um, you know technically precise because they're often done quickly, um, are good. They're fine, mm-hmm. and then you just read it in light of who is he talking to, yeah. you know what who are his listeners and what are their concerns, what is the question he's answering, and what does the church say? Because everything he says is in the context of the Catholic faith. Right. Uh, so in this particular situation, he is speaking to a group of young adults, uh, you know, educated, intelligent, who've posed some questions. They're asking about uh, the love of neighbor and respect for human life. So you know that that's the context in which he is, you know, he's speaking to a group of Europeans, uh, so who will be familiar with what's going on in Europe that maybe an American audience doesn't have the same historical and current events background. Mm -hmm. Um, And and we know that, okay, he's talking about the sanctity of life, and now he's pulled out several, he he pulled out a dozen or more different examples in that particular topic of of different ways that the sanctity of life plays out in, you know, in different situations. Um, And then we, as Catholics, we look at the the faith, we look at the catechism, we can say, okay, um, he's talking about warfare and uh, weapons and so forth. Well, the Catechism speaks to that. It speaks to legitimate self-defense. It speaks to just warfare. You know that whatever he's saying, he doesn't have a Sharpie marker and he's writing, you know, blocking out (laughs) paragraphs of the Catechism. You know, he's not giving us a brand new deposit of faith. That's not what the Pope does. Uh, What he's doing is giving examples to illustrate.
0: Well, Jen, we're coming up on a hard break right now, so we'll continue this conversation when we return. We want you to join the conversation over on facebook.com slash step outside the walls or on Twitter. The handle is at outside the walls. Love to hear your thoughts. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. We're talking today about understanding the Pope. And if you've been following the media at all, you know that that's not necessarily an easy thing to do. Uh, so we're talking today with Jen Fitz. She's a blogger on the Patheos Network. You can find her blog, pathios.com/ slash blogs slash Jennifer Fitz with a Z. Uh, and we're talking to her today about understanding uh, Pope Francis. Now this has been made difficult by our 24-hour news cycle because uh, everything turns around exceptionally quickly and then it's gone. And so by the time we can actually take the moment uh, and and actually examine what what was said in the proper context, uh, the rest of the world has moved on and they don't care about that story anymore. And so there's this drive in us to figure it out now so that we can uh, uh, that we can defend or or. Justify our distrust of the Pope, as it were, depending on what audience you are, uh, and and that's just not the way uh, that that the Pope works. It's not the way that the Church works. In fact, um, we we get this anxiety about us, and, and yet Scripture explicitly tells us on numerous occasions that we're not supposed to worry, uh, and and it says to us, "Who of you by worrying can add a single moment to your lifespan?" And yet, I think that's somewhat in our our Western American nature to get things done quickly and to, to really obsess over them for the moment. (laughs) Absolutely. So, um, let's move on just a little bit. We talked about the high context versus low context. Uh, but there were a couple of other things that you mentioned in that blog about understanding Pope Francis. Let's take take us to that next point.
1: Okay. Well, the next point I, I I got to was this idea of interconnected thinking. Um, Mm -hmm that he, uh, the Pope Francis, and this is very typical of mature thinking, um, draws on experiences from all over the place and connects ideas and connects ideas and connects ideas. And so when you're reading him, you're not following this neatly laid out trail step by step. Um, it's not like my, you know, like when I taught fifth grade catechism, you laid everything out step by step he's not doing that he's speaking to a mature audience he's not talking to fifth graders generally speaking sometimes Mm -hmm. rarely um and and what he's expecting the way that he teaches is to say okay look at this now look at this now look at this can you see how they fit together can you see how all these things that seem unrelated actually come back to the same theme and and that's the way the catholic faith is right right the catholic faith you know affects every part of our life and so you know, you pick a topic and you can, you can point to the whole universe mm-hmm. to, you know, by way of example. Uh, so that is, you know, in understanding him, you, you need to understand that's the way that the arguments are going to come across.
0: Um, not conducive to, uh, to a headline. Uh, and yet, no. and yet we try to put him into so many, Oh, look, the Pope said this headline and wrench it out of the context of the wider discussion. Uh, so,
1: and, and it's nuanced because the Catholic faith is so nuanced. You know, we're not, we're, 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 everything is complex. It's, it's, it's utterly simple and yet intricate and balanced. Right. And, and when you have a balanced approach to the world and to life, it's, it's never going to be this, you know, line in the sand, like, yeah, you know, well, as I, I, I said that wrong, it's not going to be a, um, you know, it, it's, I'm losing right. my words. It's not going to be this extreme thing. Right, it's going to be the truth, well, and the truth is big and rich.
0: I think that you know there may be something else to this as well because mm-hmm. my my wife and I uh, we have high context with one another, uh, mm-hmm. and, and even so, um, she'll come in and she will set up her her story before she tells me anything, uh, and, and you know the the anticipation just kills me. I'm like, okay, no, no, tell me the thing. Give me the <laughs> give me the cliffhanger at the beginning, and then fill in the other details. Don't don't <laughs> save the big the big news for the end because it's killing me. Uh, and so even even among people who are high context, uh, we we can get maybe a little perturbed or, or uh, impatient with those longer stories and those longer connected uh, points.
1: Yes, you know, and that is actually a uh, a well known cultural variation. Mm-hmm. People who lay out all the, all the clues, all the information, and gradually get you to the big point, and people who hand you the big point up front and then show you the evidence. And I, and,
0: I am yeah. so much the last one. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I want to yeah. give you the big point, and then I want you to stick around long enough for me to tell you why it matters.
1: <laughs> right, right, exactly. And, and I don't have an opinion on, on where Pope Francis falls on that, because I think he. He tends to kind of weave back and forth, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. And, and then the final point um, that I'd made is this idea that you know Americans live in this sort of soundbite culture, mm-hmm. where you know the and the media has trained us to do this. The media right. wants to snatch things. Um, you know, as a as a writer, uh, you know, being in a a hostile interview is mm-hmm. a massive hazard because the interviewer is looking to catch you and quote you out of context. Um, you know, you, you, you always want to speak to an audience that's willing to give you time to explain yourself and not try to trap you. Um, and, and the Pope, um, doesn't really care about making the sound bites. He doesn't care if it takes him two sentences or five sentences or a whole encyclical to get his idea across. You know, he expects you to sit and listen. And, and be intelligent. He expects you to be intelligent and to mm-hmm. say, wait a minute, the man's not done until he's done. And until I've heard the whole picture, I don't have the whole picture. And um, I think Americans get frustrated because we are used to evaluating the quality of a speaker on how well they can play the American media. Right. And so we get a little bit frustrated. We're like, okay, we've got this global leader and he's not playing the American media very well. And we wish he would, because to us, that's an important characteristic in a leader. Um, I've
0: seen people who are, are frankly angry and thinking that he's doing the faith a disservice uh, and, and even causing scandal by allowing the, the American media to distort him. And, and yet the, the American media is a, a young animal in, in the length of the, the life of the church. Uh, and and we're being called to something deeper and broader and richer than the soundbite, than the, than the seven seconds of faith, we're, we're called to to listen to the teaching of the church. Uh, the Catechism paragraph eighty-seven. It's one of my soapboxes. Says that uh, according to Christ's words, he who hears you hears me, and so the faithful listen with docility to the the th- the things that their pastors give them in various forms.
1: Yes, yes, and and the reality is that the media has been no friend of the church, Um, as far back as I am aware of Mm -hmm. American journalistic history. We know there, you know, in the reporting of Vatican II, uh, misinformation came out from the American press that radically uh, confused people Mm -hmm. on what was actually happening. And, you know, uh, St. John Paul II, he was misunderstood. Pope Benedict, amazingly misunderstood, and this is a man who's very careful about what he says, and the press just isn't interested. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and it's not what they do. What they do is they sell advertisements. And so, (laughs) I mean, you know, that's that's the reality, is that working people up into a frenzy is is what the popular media gets paid to do.
0: Right, it's sensationalism, Um, uh, because sensationalism draws a crowd, and a crowd brings advertising dollars. Yeah.
1: And so, I mean, I really, um, it's it's so important for those of us um, in ministry or in the Catholic media or um, you know uh, deacons and priests bishops preaching to give the faithful the real story Mm -hmm. because if you if you don't speak on a topic people assume that the New York Times had it right well the New York Times usually doesn't have it right when it comes to religion Um, it's a rare day when you get good reporting Um, so we have to speak up and correct these misunderstandings, but it's not, I mean, Pope Francis, I think that's one of the reasons he is so, uh, off the cuff and so willing to speak to everybody is because he wants to get the truth out there and Mm -hmm. wants to spread the gospel and the good news. And, um, so that's, you know, it's a danger and I think we just have to listen to him, uh, listen to the, the wider teaching of the church, the whole history that he is behind him. And, um, you know, go for the truth and not be distracted by the, you know, the media circus.
0: Yeah. And the whole idea that to remember the, the audience to which he's speaking, he is even so more so than the, the previous two popes. He's very intentional about primarily being the Bishop of Rome uh, and to pastor his own people. And then when he goes to other places, he knows his pastoral role among those people. But he, he's yeah. really focused on the community and on the individual and not on uh, the the global church at every single moment.
1: Right. And, it's you know, it's a beautiful witness of evangelism in that mm-hmm. looking at the person in front of you and, you know, your story, if you're in front of me, it's your story I want right. to hear. It's your concerns I want to respond to, and I will talk to the next person a different day. Right. Um, but, you know, you're you're a unique individual person, and you have a relationship with God that is, is worth my attention.
0: I remember um, it was a, a, the first person I ever saw this with, I was sitting in the office of, of a friend who is a doctoral student, and the phone rang, and I was just in there not for an official meeting, and so I just paused to let him take it, and he said, no. I've got voicemail. I'm with you right now. And just the amount of of respect that I felt uh, being given to me and the the amount that my admiration for this person went up when they did that, uh, that tells us something about relationship. And and I think that that's what this pope is focused on. And I think that's what we uh, as Catholics should be focused on is being in relationship uh, with those in the world and that winsomeness draws them to Christ. Mm -hmm. Well, we want you to join this conversation. Come on over to social media, facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls. On Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls. Uh, We want to hear what you think about uh, how the Pope communicates. When we come back, we're going to be giving away Jen's book, uh, Classroom Management for the Catechist. You're going to want to stick around. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Glad you stuck through the break. It's time to give something away. Today, we're going to be giving away Jennifer Fitz's book, Classroom Management for Catechists. And if you've ever been a catechist of young children, you know just how important this can be. So, Jen, why did you write this book?
1: Uh, Well, you know, I was that catechist, (laughs) and um, I I had done a variety of teaching things as a volunteer. and I love to teach and so I walked into fifth grade, I knew the faith, I loved kids, I thought, hey, this is going to be a piece of cake, and those kids ate me alive. <laughs> and and, and the, the director of religious education at the time, who was a wonderful person, and she's the kind of person that when she walks into a room, everything just settles down and is yeah. at peace. She has this beautiful spirit about her, and so she would be, you know, sort of helpless. She'd be like, well, just get them to behave, Jennifer, and, you know, let me show you. And she would do what she does, and I couldn't figure it out. And and so I ended up uh, talking to uh, other, you know, professional teachers, friends who taught in public schools and looking up books for teachers because there was nothing that really taught you as a catechist, as a, you know, as a um, non-professional educator volunteer who just needs a simple way to understand how do I, you know, what are the basics of classroom management. And so that is what I put down. And it was funny because when you asked me, about a giveaway. I thought, well, what does this have to do with today's topic? And then I thought, you know, really, uh, classroom management, uh, discipline in, in any, um, in any relationship, parenting or what have you, is in a lot of ways about effective communication Yeah. and, um, and about adjusting expectations, that whole idea of, um, you know, these, these kids weren't responding the way I thought they should to what I was doing. And it was my job to say, okay, how do we change the way we're interacting to right. that will work instead of being stuck on just, uh, they're not doing what I want. You know, let's move past that and, and, and solve the
0: problems. Well, one of the benefits so of, of your book is that it's, it's not, it, it's informative, but it's not daunting. You know, you get those, those books for teachers on classroom management. It's like 500 pages thick. You're like, I'm never going to do this. Uh, how in yeah. the world am I ever going to get control? How in the world am I ever going to do to be able to provide these kids what they need. But your book does this in a way that's not so daunting. It's approachable. It's uh, you, you look at it and you think, hey, I could read this. I could benefit from this.
1: Yes, very down-to-earth, very just uh, plain spoken language, and and it's 100% devoted to the parish religious education context. Mm-hmm. So you can take it and use it in YMCA or Boy Scouts or whatever, but all the examples are from you know, I've got a group of kids at Vacation Bible School, or I've got yeah. early teenagers, or I've got six-year-old boys bouncing off the walls. Now what? And um, so it's It's very, very straightforward and gets into, um, you know, the heart of what you're doing as a catechist as well. Um, Great. So it's, yeah, it's a right. very 101. Well, let's, yeah.
0: let's give it away. What we're going to do is we are going to give you a question, and you're going to give me a call, 918 928 KPIM. That's 918 928 5746. If you want, you can also uh, go onto social media, Facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Answer that question there or on Twitter. The handle is at outside the walls, and we will get this book out to you. So go ahead and give us the question.
1: Okay, so the question is from the new encyclical uh, from Pope Francis. He says, he, he gives us a clue what is the way that we acquire uh, true wisdom. All right. And that is the question. Can you find it?
0: How do you... Uh,
1: what, what did you say?
0: Yeah, how do you acquire true wisdom? That encyclical is Laudato Si. Uh, th- Father Barron has got a website devoted to it, laudatosi.com, L-A-U-D-A-T-O-S-I.com. You can download it there. And if you search within the document, just type in the words true wisdom, you'll find it right off the bat. So be quick. Give me a call, 918-928-KPIM, and we'll give that away to you. Jen, thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Glad to be here. It was great.
0: I encourage you to go take a look at Jen's blog over on the Pathios Network, of course you can go there directly by typing in patheos.com slash blogs slash jennifer fits with a z or you can just pop on over to our social media facebook.com slash step outside the walls and we'll provide a link uh, to her blog uh, another thing that i want to do this week uh, just this is a wild hair another thing i want to do is perhaps you've got something and th- that's really bugged you the pope said something that's got you on edge you're nervous uh, and and you're not sure how to understand it, and maybe it stuck with you for a while, well, why don't you bring it over to social media, bring it to my Facebook page. Go to facebook.com slash step outside the walls, uh, and then say, okay... Uh, I'm having trouble understanding this and lay out the the quote or the thing that's got you worked up. Let me know why it's got you worked up. Maybe it's uh, you feel it's changing something that's vitally important. And I'm going to see if I can take a crack at it, see if I can find that context that it belongs in. Uh, we maybe invite maybe we'll invite Jen onto the page as well to help kind of parse out some of those things that maybe have been really troubling to you. Uh, because the truth of the matter is, first and foremost, the primary context that we read Pope Francis through is he is Catholic. He is the shepherd of the Catholic Church. And really, a lot of these statements that everyone gets so worried about or that the media rejoices over, there are things that were done by Pope Benedict and by Pope, uh, by Pope John Paul II. Uh, but for the most part, Uh, They weren't used in that way. Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict, it seems, were more uh, discredited by the the national media. And it seems that Pope Francis is more appropriated by the national media for their own means. And so either way, it's not the proper response uh, to the Pope. It's not the proper response that we should have looking to them because they are shepherds of our souls. And so we look to them and the things that they say in the context of the faith, in the context of uh, these people are concerned with their flock. They're the shepherds of the Catholic Church, uh, and they have the faith always in the front of their minds. They're not doing anything with a political agenda, and specifically not with an American political agenda, because they are not American politicians. Uh, They're looking at things in a different way. Uh, Pope John Paul II looked at things as someone from Poland because he was Polish. Benedict looked at things as a German because he was German, and Francis is neither of those. Uh, He's going to look at things from a very different perspective because he's not a European. He's not an American, but what he is, is the Supreme Shepherd of the Catholic faith. Well, there's a lot to cover. We'll hope you'll join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls. Thanks for joining us this week. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.